just assume they're going to be fine financially? Like, what are they going to do with their lives? And like, how are they going to, you know, kind of leapfrog us in a different way or like have a happier life? Like, how are they going to look at us the way we look at our parents? Hey, everyone. My name is Al Gugliotta, and I want to welcome you to the Unlearning Project. All right, I'm here with Antonio Peretta from, my God, 16 years in the making, we were talking about. And Antonio is a friend of mine. We actually met at Wells Fargo a long, long time ago. And we've been talking, we're having these coffee break conversations and I've been dying to get him on the podcast just to record one of these conversations. I think we've had the same conversation a thousand times over and just in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And we were just talking about off air, about the efficiencies and where we came from with Wells and how we basically were in an environment where we were fed business. We were fed business. We came from an environment first where you were scratching for business. You were on the outside. You were eating what you killed just on the run, trying to find business colds. And then we got into an environment where it was more like shooting fish in a barrel. So it was strange because both Antonio and I came from the outside and a lot of the guys in the group never were on the outside. So they didn't know how good they had it. And we walked in there and we're like, oh my God, this can it really be this good? Right? I mean, that's kind of like what we were thinking. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but when I first came to interview, when I moved, it was like 07. I came down to visit because I couldn't believe what the manager at the time, Mike, was telling me. And I came down and I sat with somebody and I sat with one of these advisors. And during the course of like, I don't know, maybe like 30, 40 minutes that he was just talking to me about things, he got like two or three of these leads and they were just layups. And I don't know what the dollar amount was, but whatever it was, it was, you know, a decent amount. Of money, and I couldn't believe that I was actually seeing this happen. I mean, somebody would call, he'd pick up the phone, and within a couple minutes, he'd have this account invested. He never did anything really to go and find it. And I was coming from the world, like you said, where you're basically making 300 cold calls a day, you're doing seminars, you're networking, you're driving here, driving there, shaking this hand, trying to meet people, anything you can do to try to earn people's business. So I remember. I sat with this guy and he gets these calls and I called my wife on my cell phone. I like walked away and said, I got to run to the restroom. And I called my wife and I'm like, and she'll tell you, I was like, <laughs> listen, I think they're like setting me up. I think this is made up. Like I didn't believe it was possible. Like they were putting on an act to get you in. Like it wasn't real. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. To get me to like sign on and just join on board. Cause I was so skeptical. I'm like, there's no way this could be real. And she, you know, we laughed to this day about it because it was so funny to think like that they were actually, you know, this massive organization is going to put on this front just for me. That's how skeptical and foreign it was to me. It was so odd to me, but, but anyway. That's so funny. Yeah. And it's funny. They gave me a signing bonus to come over. And I remember thinking I knew about this group and I really wanted to get in this group because I heard about it. I was like, I can't believe it's real. And then I finally get the opportunity. Some guy was leaving. I just got my foot in the door somehow. And I'm sitting down with the same manager you're talking about. And he's like, what do you think about this kind of signing bonus? I'm like, signing bonus? Dude, I want to come over for free. I don't, 
<laughs> I wasn't demanding anything. Like I was begging to come over and it was like, he's offering me money to come. Like, this is unreal. I couldn't believe it. Right. I mean, this is 16 years ago, 17 years ago, right? Yeah. It's just so foreign. It was so foreign. We've both been independent almost 10 years. You probably 10 years, right? Yeah, it was 2011. Holy crap. I went in 2011, so I'm actually in my 11th year now. That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. And the funny thing is that we knew we wanted to go independent. Yeah. But it took somebody pushing us over the edge to do it, right? I mean, all those times we would sit there having coffee and just talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, the efficiencies and everything and how inefficient a lot of it was and why are we sharing so much of our income with a company that really provides nothing i mean we're doing all the work with the client yep and these were our coffee talks basically it was like twice a week or whatever it was almost probably every day toward the end and we sit there try to convince each other like yeah we should just leave it's gonna work it's so easy all we gotta do is pick up and leave we'll bring the clients with us we'll make more we'll be free <laughs> we won't be in corporate america <laughs> this is bullshit but we couldn't do it. It's hard to make those like big decisions when you have to pull the trigger, right? When somebody else is doing it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost easier. It's almost easier when somebody does it for you. But I think some of it too had to do with, and we've talked about this a million times. I think some of it had to do too with that, you know, immigrant mentality that was pounded in our heads growing up. It was like, listen, you know, our parents came from nothing. So once they had something, the fear of losing what they accomplished it's funny because when they were coming to America, right? I mean, their idea was we got nothing to lose. So we're going to go gangbusters. Yeah. And they end up improving their life with that mentality. But then they get something and they revert back to the other mentality of, well, I don't want to do something now because I might lose it. And then that's what they kind of, in a way, instilled in us was this math, you know, right. just work really hard, keep your head down, yeah. you know, just be happy that you have a job. And it's like, be happy that I have a job. I'm supposed to be happy. Like, why do I have to be happy that I have a job? And so we, I think part of it stopped us because we were almost like afraid of pulling that trigger and then losing this utopia that we found. Yeah. And the storylines that would go through our heads would be like, you know, I've got a mortgage. We have kids. We have this. We have this. We can't lose. Got something to lose. And we would just keep repeating this like kind of mantra of. Yeah. We have these responsibilities. We have a stable job. Why would you take the risk? And it's what risk? When you think about it, like now looking back, it's like, what risk were we taking? Yeah, you were actually taking a risk by staying, right? Because at the end of the day, your relationships with your clients are all that matters. So, you know, we had this fear that our relationships weren't that strong, but they really were because the clients, they were working with us. So (laughs) the risk was staying, but it's funny because you know, in 10 years, I don't know about you, but in 10 yeah. years of being independent, I've never to this day met somebody who's independent who doesn't say the same two things. I know. It's crazy. I wish I would have gone sooner. Yeah. I'll never go back ever. So it's like <laughs> everybody says the same thing. And it's interesting. Like the things that I thought would be detriments, like, or the things that I thought would be I'd want to get away from with corporate America a little bit. I kind of miss a little bit. I miss the camaraderie, even if most of the financial advisors we worked with, honestly, I wasn't really like friends with them. You know, I was friends with like a handful of people, but just going to an office and interacting with people, like that's been something I've missed. Not that I'd ever go back for that reason, but it's been interesting because we've worked from home essentially for 10 years before the pandemic. 
Yeah, I do miss that though. I agree. And that was accentuated, I think, with COVID. Yeah. There is a little bit of a loneliness to being independent, even though you're on the phone with clients or on Zoom calls like this. It's not the same as that interaction with people. So, you know, I definitely, I agree. I think if there's one thing that I would change, it would be great to be independent, but still maybe, maybe like two days a week or something, just have a place that you go to. Sure. And just kind of hang out for a couple hours, you know, have some camaraderie, even just from a business standpoint, bounce some ideas off of each other. You know, like I'm sure you do. I have people that I bounce ideas off of, but it's different when you're not sitting around the water cooler together. It is different. Yeah. The human interaction, even if it's people like I was saying, like people that you don't even necessarily like, it's just like having any being around anyone. I mean, we're around our kids or around, you know, our spouses and it's different. Yeah. That piece of this. That piece of this. I always remember looking at you and saying, like, you'd start talking about going independent. I'd be like, dude, of course you could do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I could, if you left tomorrow, you would basically bring at least 50% of your clients, which means that you would make the exact same income you're making now just by bringing half your clients. But we couldn't believe it for ourselves. We could tell each other that we can do it, <laughs> that the other can do it, but we couldn't believe it for us. And it was so strange. Because I felt like you took a big chance. You moved from New York, you moved to Charlotte. You used to always tell me this. It was like a big risk, big change. And it was like the best decision you ever made, right? And any time in life we make these big decisions, I can't remember any big ones that I've made that like I regret it. They always worked out great. And it always like, you know, kind of like a paradigm shift almost, you know? Imagine you'd be upstate New York instead of being here in Charlotte. You would have a whole different life, right? Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I remember talking about that. We always talked about these major decisions, right? And how somehow we always find a way to make the major decisions work out. Like you said, I mean, I moved at the time I moved. I mean, I had two kids under the age of one and a half. Yes. We had no family here. Right. We knew nothing about Charlotte. I had to fly back every other weekend to finish my MBA. I mean, that was like a massive risk. And then I'm worried right. about just going independent, you know, but it's like, all the major decisions, even the ones you had in your life, like when you moved here and, you know, yeah, and just everything that you've ever done. We, I remember talking about it. And it's like, the funny thing is the big decisions, we almost didn't overanalyze them. We just did them and figured it out. But all these other decisions, we get caught overanalyzing. And it's like, sometimes it's actually detrimental to overthink things. Oh, most of the time, I would say. I mean, it's all the anticipation of like, the fear that comes from anticipating something. Once you're thrown into the deep end, then you're just swimming. Like you have to do it, right? <laughs> right. It's like you're doing it. Like once you're involved in doing it, you're not stressing over it because you're doing it. Yeah. All the stress comes from looking at it from a distance, not actually doing it, thinking about it, overanalyzing. Yeah, I know. I agree. So I wanted to shift like going towards like the whole grad. We always talk about this too, gratitude and striving and like the difference between the two. So I've always had a problem with being grateful for what you have. But at the same time, pushing forward to like create more. So it's like this weird balance of, well, you know, stop pushing, just be grateful for what you have right now. So I think in that head, I'm like, all right, I could do that. And then there's something in the back of my mind that's like, no, you better put your foot on the gas. Like, don't be too grateful. Don't sit back. And and I've always struggled with the concept of being grateful and striving at the same time, you know, pushing forward. How do you think about that stuff? Yeah, I don't, it's tough, right? I mean, <laughs> In one respect, guys like you and I, I think have done a pretty decent job of carving out this kind of nice lifestyle, nice career, that kind of thing. 
But then I, you know, I have like another group of people that I associate with and I look at them and they're like light years above me mm-hmm. in terms of like financial or career success. They're so far ahead of where I am. And so it like kind of puts it in perspective. And it's like, sometimes I look at the people around me and I think, all right, be happy with what you got. You know, you're doing really well. Could be a lot worse. There's people out there that you know that are struggling or maybe not even struggling, but just don't have mm-hmm. the same freedoms that you have. But then it's like, I look at this other group and I think to myself, God, I got to put my foot on the gas. Yeah. These guys are way ahead of me. You know, I'm never going to catch up. So I think a lot of it's just a reference point and you almost have to be careful. And you see it like with a lot of people with social media, especially like teenagers, obviously you got, you know, you got a teenager and, you know, I got a couple of them. It's all about their reference point, right? So are you comparing yourself to, you know, this Adonis or are you comparing yourself to the average person? So I don't know the answer. I just tried. I think for me, what I found that seems to be working is just trying to, like you said, appreciate what I have, but also trying to put um, something in place. And it goes back to not having to think about it. Some sort of automated feature that forces me to still grow. So, you know, using like I use a lead service and I don't get a lot of leads, but I'll get, you know, whatever, a couple of leads here or there for new cold business. So obviously I get referrals from clients like you do. Yeah. And those are fantastic. But in terms of like just cold leads where it's, it kind of puts me back into that original mentality of eat what you kill. Mm -hmm. And it almost like keeps me a little sharp and it forces me to still be in that growth mindset of like, okay, here's this person you know nothing about and you need to try to earn their business, earn their trust. And I feel like because it's automated and those just come to me once in a while, even though they're not a lot, it's just enough to keep me humble enough to appreciate what I got, but still trying to improve. No, that's cool. Yeah. I think it's a thought process, you know, like you have to have both. You have to be grateful and you want to grow at the same time. And it's still comparison. Like you're saying, you have friends that are on a whole different stratosphere of like financial success. I'm sure you got plenty of friends on a lower stratosphere too. So you're somewhere on this, like whatever timeline. And what does it matter? And we always talk about that. Like, what the hell does it matter anyway? So it's like that comparison. I've said it before in this podcast. Like they've done this study. Like if you made 50 grand a year and everybody else in your neighborhood made 25, you feel great. But if you made 100 and everybody else made 125, not as happy. So you make double the amount of money, but since everybody else makes more than you, then you're not as happy. So it's this weird comparison thing. It's so strange. Right. But you see that with our clients. It happens all the time, right? They'll be like, oh, my buddy made this much and I didn't. And it's like, well, okay. But you realize that, you know, your buddy took this kind of risk or, you know, your buddy put in money over the course of the year. But to your point, you know, their reference point, they're just thinking, oh, that person made that. I should get that. Yeah. And your buddy always tells you about the winners and not the losers, right? It's kind of like, it's all comparison. It's so strange. It's so strange how we do that kind of thing. And it goes with everything. Like you said, teenagers, like they do it with body image, Instagram, you know, all that stuff. You're comparing yourself. We're constantly comparing ourselves. What kind of car does that guy drive? Yeah. What kind of house? What kind of clothes do they wear? You know, how do they handle themselves? But like you said, how much is enough, right? Like, why are we measuring our happiness on whether or not we feel comparable to some random person out there, right? 
you know, you and I are going to compare ourselves and we're going to say, oh, geez, you know what? Al's happier because Al makes, you know, X dollars and I make X minus. Well, okay, but why am I measuring my happiness on Al's income? Why don't I look and go, well, Al makes X dollars, but I don't really care what Al makes. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I make enough so that I can go out to dinner whenever I want to. So I should just be happy with that. Like, why do we always have to compare with other people? Exactly. It's like comparing dicks, you know, it's like, yeah, look at, yeah, <laughs> like I got a bigger, it's so ridiculous, you know, like who cares? Yeah. And it's funny, like the more you accumulate, the bar just keeps getting set higher, especially if you're comparing yourselves to people that, you know, make a lot more than you or have a lot more than you. And it's straight. Like I always have this fantasy of once this business is over and I'm done, like literally just like kind of throwing the money into some sort of life stage funds and just be done with it and like never look at the market again. Like no paper statements, not even an online check. I don't even want to check online. I don't want to look at any of it. Like just take a few years <laughs> off before you're even looking at the market. Like I don't want to see a CNBC like ticker tape, you know, ticker quote thing. That's like a real fantasy for me because we have clients that are like that. Right. They're like, you take care of my money. I don't want to hear anything about it. Call me once a year. We could talk and. 95% of that conversation will be about our family and about our ailments or whatever in our life. And right. 5% about business. They don't want to deal with like thinking about the markets and that kind of thing. Yeah. But correct me if I'm wrong, those clients that you're referring to, I agree. I have those exact same clients. They tend to be the happiest clients. Mm. And over the long run, they actually end up being the most successful because they don't make any emotional decisions about money. They don't compare themselves to like what we're talking about. They're not comparing themselves with their friends. They basically just want to know, hey, Al, take a look at my portfolio. Am I going to be okay? Can I maintain my lifestyle? That's all they really want to know. And they don't care if they made 20% last year, 10%. As long as they can maintain the lifestyle they're living, they're happy. I always envy those people because I look at them and I'm like, that's where I want to be. Yeah. I want to be to that point where I don't really care how much my neighbors have, how much my neighbors don't have. I just want to know, look, I want to go out to dinner 10 times a month. And as long as I can keep doing that, I'm good. Or the fluctuations in the market. I don't want to think about them. Yeah, I just don't want to be bothered. Yeah, who cares? Like, I mean, again, over a long period of time, who cares? And I always think the way my mind works is like I look back for like the last 10 years, all the worry you had about the market when it went down and went up and it went sideways and it didn't do anything. What did any of that worry do? Like, did it do you any good? And I'm like, no, it did me zero good. You know, like basically just thinking about the downturns in the market, even looking at the market today, I see that everything's red, you know? I'm like, what was the point of looking at that? Right. Is it going to change any decision-making process? None. It makes me feel a little worse. It shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't. If you truly have a long-term perspective, like you said, it shouldn't change. And here's the funny thing, going back to our point about reference. The market's red. So everybody's like, oh my God, market's down. You know, it's down, you know, down a point and a half or two percent in today, blah, blah, blah. But you're you're referencing where it was just a couple of weeks ago. Why aren't we looking at where it was two years ago? Because who cares that it's down two percent? You're still up like 70% from where you were two years ago. But we don't do that. We always find the highest amount and anything off of that high amount, we lost money. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, I ran a 20 minute. 5K, you know. So now today I run a 20 minute and 30 second 5K, right. and that was horrible. <laughs> well, why is it horrible? What? <laughs> yeah, because you always have to be better, right? It's always going to be more better. It's like that more better kind of thing. And it's one of the simple things that no one does. 
like all the simple shit. Like we just said, like we always argued about this, like having three funds arguably can beat pretty much any portfolio from a professional money manager. I mean, you're never going to know. I mean, obviously, if you did it over a 20-year period, you could see. But it's arguable that you could pick three Vanguard funds and outperform any of like the professional money managers out there. And people don't understand that. Like, It's like you can literally, on your own, pick three funds, leave it alone, never touch it. Don't even rebalance it. Just leave the damn thing alone for 20 years. And probably a decent chance that you're going to do better than most of the professional money managers out there. Nobody wants to hear that. It's kind of like pulling the veil back on our business, but you know. Well, it is, but I think, I don't know if it's so much, and again, we're not talking about this. I think people don't value the right things in our business, right? Like everybody's so focused on the investments themselves. It's that whole random walk down Wall Street idea. Like you said, you could just, you know, diversify and arguably you could probably do okay over time with these three or four funds. Yeah. But I think the real value, you know, like you and I were saying how we couldn't pull the trigger, even though you would look at me and go, oh my God, if you went on your own, you'd be perfectly fine. And I would look at you and go, oh, what are you worried about? You'd be perfectly fine. I mean, we've had conversations right now about our own personal net worths. And I know I've said to you, oh, you're fine. But you still have this like fear about it. And I think the point is our value isn't so much the investments. It's really the planning and the helping people navigate their own emotional decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like you can go to the gym. I mean, I know you work out all the time. You know, we both live relatively healthy lives. Yeah. You know what to do. There's no secret. Like, you know exactly what to do. But I guarantee you, if I go buy a trainer to work with you for the next six months, you'll have better outcome. And it's not because he's going to show you some, you know, you're not going to walk into the gym and be like, all right, you know, get into this pretzel and you'll be, no, it's just, he's going to hold you accountable and he's going to stop you from making these boneheaded decisions when you're like, oh man, I should pump out one more set because I like the way my arms look. And he's going to be like, well, your arms are great. And don't forget, you got to have your back <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem. So many people, they don't want to realize that the real value isn't the investments are valuable, but it's really more all the other stuff around. It's the therapy. It's literally a therapy session. kind of. Yeah. But the money managers are not going to tell you that because then they won't generate any revenue. And it's such a strange thing because like, if you pull back that veil and say, listen, my value is not coming from asset allocation or putting you in the right investments. Or, I mean, it's a little bit about that, but the majority of it is just keeping you on track. Like, it's making sure you don't make, a, like you said, a bonehead decision. When the market tanks, if I could stop you from doing that twice over a 20 year period, oh I've done God. my job. I mean, I've literally saved you from complete like financial annihilation, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we both have tons of stories that we could talk about with clients where we just, like you said, yeah. stop them from making a major decision, whether it be to like to start a business and we just kind of explain to them why it wasn't a good idea or whatever. And it, it ended up saving them tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. Yeah. Not to mention all the stress, possible divorce. I mean, nice. who knows what else, right? I mean, it's funny because you go see your attorney or you go see your doctor and you don't expect them to manufacture some amazing product. Like your attorney, the loss for your attorney and the loss for my attorney are exactly the same. Right. They don't have access to some special law. It's just how do they interpret that law in our specific situation. And then they advise us. They're like, yeah, listen, you don't want to do this. If you do this, then the other person can do that. And so 
they just help you and help you navigate within the realm of those laws as they apply to you. Same thing with your doctor, right? You go in and you're like, look, doc, I don't feel good. What's wrong? Well, this hurts and I'm not sure. And the doctor's like, okay, you know, I think this is what you need to do. And here's your plan, you know, your prescription for how to get better. It's really, that's the value. The doctor's not- Yeah, there's no magic pill. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor doesn't make the medicine. The doctor doesn't go, oh, this medicine, you know, we should change it and go to this medicine because this new pharmaceutical company came out with this new, I mean, mm-hmm. go with what works. They know it works. And you're not looking for anything like that from either of those two professionals. But then you come to us and you're like, okay, here's my half a million dollars. I want it to be a million bucks in three years. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, it's possible. But are you willing to accept that it might be worth 200,000 in three years? Hell no. You know, well, no, I don't want that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. And that's like, that will always be the ongoing issue in our business of like having those types of just unreasonable conversations where you're just trying to like basically set the guidelines of what's possible. Like, this is what's possible. Yeah, you could double your money in three years. How much risk are you going to have to take to get there? That's a whole nother story. I mean, everybody's aggressive when they're making money, right? Right. And everybody's conservative when they're losing money. It's like- 100%. So interesting, like the psychology behind it. Yeah. But it goes back to, what's the point? Okay, so you put in 500,000 in this example, and it doubles to a million, and now you're happy? So now you got to a million in three years, and you're happy. Well, why are you happy? Well, and if you ask people, they'll be like, well, I don't know. I just thought that would be good. But why not come back to, and this is where I think you and I really add the value. It's coming back to, well, what's the purpose of this 500,000? Well, you know, I need to draw a thousand bucks a month to supplement my income. Well, okay, we can do that now. You don't need to wait for money. Yes. You can do that now and it'll grow. And you probably never outlive your money if we use the right strategy. And it's like, oh, I can. Yeah. So then you can be comfortable and you can be happy. And then you don't care because yeah. you doubled from 500 to a million. So then what? Then you're going to say to me, well, I want it to be worth 2 million. Yeah. It's never ending. Yeah. Because people, I think there has to be some end goal. It's like, what are you training for? You know, when you work out, well, I'm training for a marathon. Okay. I know I need to make sure I can run this certain distance. But if I'm like, well, I'm just running for the sake of running, that's great. It's like a therapeutic thing. But if you're like, well, I'm just running to run, well, you're just going to keep running. Never, it's like Forrest Gump. I mean, you're just going to keep running. Well, I just want to get faster, right? It's oh, like faster is the goal. Like, well, faster is a never ending thing, right? You're going to do the four minute mile. Do you want to do yeah. a three minute mile? You know, I mean, it's like, right. how much faster can you possibly go? It's funny how like, I feel like I'm in that, we're probably both in that situation in life where like in our 40s, we've accumulated some assets and now it's like, oh, like all the stuff I've talked about clients this whole time was have a goal. Once you reach the goal, then you're good. Like the money served the purpose. You made it to this goal. You know, you can produce income at this percentage or whatever. And it's funny. It's like now that I'm there, I get the mentality. I get it that like, all right, I can produce a certain amount of income. Why am I still striving to just produce more? This vague more. It's really vague because like you could double what I have. And I don't think my, well, first of all, my lifestyle wouldn't change. So it doesn't really matter unless you have a hundred million dollars and you're jet setting around the world, which it's not my lifestyle. It's not something I'd ever strive to do. Otherwise, it's just a number in an account that you'd never use anyway. We do everything we want to do right now. We eat what we want to eat. We exercise when we want to exercise. We travel. Like we do all the things we want to do. And then you start to realize like, oh, it's just this vague more. 
And so I'm like, wow, I got to like really dial back this more mentality and just really right. kind of focus on what's the goal. What's the real goal? What's the end point? What do I want this money to do for me? You know, not just more. More is like a terrible goal, right? It's just a never-ending thing. Well, it never ends. It never ends. And it's unhealthy because then you get so focused on more and it goes back to the balance, right? You're so focused on more that you don't end up enjoying what you have. It's kind of ironic. I literally talked to a client this morning that lives in Georgia and he's a great guy. You know, his wife passed away. He's probably in his late 60s. You know, just a good average person. He has plenty of assets. And we were just talking. He's like, he's basically saying, we were talking about his beneficiaries and his sister is his beneficiary because now his wife passed away and his sister is older. And he's like, well, what happens if she passed away? And I'm like, well, who else do you want it to go to? Because I don't really have anything. So I don't know. And it was just like this moment of you have more than you'll ever need. You're never going to spend this because like you and I, his lifestyle hasn't changed just because he's accumulated all these assets. He's just a normal everyday person. And so now his dilemma is literally like all those years of saving and investing and, you know, scrimping and all that stuff. His dilemma now is what do I do with all this when I'm not here anymore? There's nobody to leave it to. Yeah. So it's like, what was the point of, <laughs> of more? You know, I wish I had more time because the more assets, and I don't know what that number is. I think, you know, it's different for everybody, but. I certainly think that there, at some point, you do have to draw a line and try to not reach for more, but maybe reach for enough. I agree with that. Yeah. And be flexible. I mean, I think you got to be flexible with this stuff. Because I mean, the thing is, you can attain a number, right? And the way I look at it is like, if you attain that number, what are you going to do at that point? So you attain the number, you can just liquidate everything and just put it all in cash. Now you got that number, right? <laughs> it's not going to grow anymore. But like, as soon as you get that number... In your mind, you're like, well, these are investments. Like, what if I have a four-year bear market? You know, now my assets drop by 50%. It's like, what if that happens? Or you start going down these rabbit holes of like, what if, what if, what if? And the only time you can't do the what if is if you put it all to cash. But then the problem is inflation will erode it. So you're in this weird kind of dilemma where you got to choose. But if you could just, if you could just be in that state where you knew you got X dollars each month to live your life. Then you don't care about your portfolio best. I know. See, that's the, yeah. Right? It's what all of our, I don't want to say ancestors, but I guess they are all of our generations before us. That's what they all loved, right? They went to work at a company, worked there for 35 years, traded hours for dollars. But at the end, they got a pension and they knew that that 5,000 bucks a month, plus a couple thousand for social security, and they could live a great life. And I like, you know, you see teachers from where I'm from, they don't make a ton of money even though they probably should be paid a lot more. They don't make a ton of money during their careers, but then they get a decent pension and they retire at like, you know, 55. Yeah. And they live a great life and they're healthy. They have great relationships with their kids. They have a network of friends. They all travel together. And to me, it's like, that's what it's about. And they don't worry. It's like the worry is gone because they don't worry yeah. about money because they yeah. know they have this guaranteed back ends. Whereas people like us that don't have pensions, we're trying to create our own. And then that's where the rabbit holes start going. We're like, do I, how do I? But they also don't worry about money because they never really had it. That's a good point. They never really made a lot. So they always relied on monthly income. True. That was their focus always. You know, So it's like they've been conditioned to always have that mentality. So the only difference between them working and them retirement was 
their monthly income wasn't coming from work anymore. It was coming from this pension. So true. But they're like totally content. They don't care that they don't have $5 million sitting in some account. Right. It's not relevant. They don't really care. They're like, as long as I'm getting the money I need each month, we can go out and play pickleball. (laughs) Exactly. It's so true. Like you said, we could travel together. We could just do fun shits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always think of what would happen if you went to your dad and you told him, you know, what your lifestyle looks like and that dad, you know, I only work, you know, two hours a day and, you know, I make this amount. like, and you'd be like, he would lose his mind. He'd be like, what are you talking about? Work 10 hours, right? make five times as much. And that's where, like, I think that immigrant mentality sort of is constantly like in the back of our mind, like pushing, don't take your foot off the gas. You can't be too happy. Don't get too settled in, you know, don't be too comfortable. Right. Because it can be taken away. No, 100%. 100%. I mean, I think your dad was probably the same way, right? I mean, if you went to him... I would never said, tell him. Yeah. I would never tell him. Yeah. Yeah. If you said I work two hours, he'd say work four. If you said I work 10 hours a day, he'd say work 12. Like, always more. Like there's always more. <laughs> like, oh, dad, man, I went to work today. You know, I started at 6 a.m., got out at 5. Man, what a day. Why don't you stay till 6? You could have put another hour. You could have made a little more money. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at... You know, I can just speak for my parents. I look at my parents, great people, mm-hmm. accomplished, in my opinion, massive goals that they accomplished coming from where they came from. But now here they are in retirement and, you know, they don't really do a whole lot because they literally killed themselves yeah. along the way. Right. They just burned themselves out, right? Just too much. Yeah. And it's like, was it really worth it? You know, so instead of driving a Cadillac, what if you would have just drove a Toyota? <laughs> would you have been? a little bit more energetic now Mm. instead of to your point what if you only did work your 10 hour day like did you really have to come home and then go back out and you know hang kitchen cabinets till 11 o'clock at night right to make that much more like did it really matter at the end did it really matter right it didn't well we know it didn't i mean to them they didn't know any different though right that was their mentality they came from a different upbringing yeah and i think the cool part about it is our upbringing is completely different. They gave us the opportunity to think different. They didn't have that luxury. Right. But maybe that was the sacrifice they had to make in order for us to see the world the way we see it. I think so. I mean, I don't think they envisioned us being the way we are now, but they gave us the opportunity to like... (laughs) (laughs) And you ever think about what our kids are going to look like compared to... And again, for me, it's not even a financial thing. I don't even think about it with finance. I'm like, I just assume they're going to be fine financially. Like, what are they going to do with their lives? And like, how are they going to, you know, kind of leapfrog us in a different way or like have a happier life? Like, how are they going to look at us the way we look at our parents? And I always think about that. That's a great question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how do these families that have this massive wealth, like, you know, whatever, the the Kennedys, the Rockefeller, these huge names over history. It's like, how do you raise kids to appreciate when they literally have you know, how do you end to your point? Like, what does that next generation do to improve on the generation before? Like, how do you, do you just become maybe more philanthropic? Do you spend more of your time devoting your time to other things that what you do? Because now money's really not an issue anymore. So now can you really focus on just giving yourself to causes or bettering the world in some way, helping people like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's Elon Musk? I mean, what are his kids going to like? Clearly, they're not going to worry about anything, right? Or what's the saying that Bill Gates or somebody said? Something like, leave your kids enough so they don't have to worry, but... 
not too much so they don't have to do anything, right? Correct. Yeah. Leave them so they can do anything, but not too much where they don't have to do anything. Yeah. 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 Something like that. But again, what's that? What's that? What's that amount? Exactly. I don't know either. I don't know. And is it different for each kid? Right. I mean, some kids are just generally more motivated. And then some people are just not as motivated. True. I heard an interview with Deepak Chopra a long time ago that really struck home where he said that he told his kids from a very young age that, listen, I don't care about what you do as far as college or money or whatever. He's like, all I want you to do is try to make this world a better place in any way that you want to do that. If for any reason you do that and you still can't make a living, I'll pay for you. I'll provide for you. Like I'll literally provide for you if you can't make money doing. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, he, you know, as he's doing the interview, he's like, now my kids are older. They all went to the best schools. They make great livings. They're in professions that they love. I'm like, what a cool thing to give to your kids. Like just by telling them, listen, forget about the freaking chase for money. You know, stop chasing the bug. Right. Don't try to like compete with your friends and do the whole comparison thing. Just try to, in your way, make the world a better place, whether it's, I don't know, you want to be in the arts or acting or therapy or whatever it is, whatever you feel like drawn to. Do that and put your heart into it. And if for whatever reason you can't make a living, it's just funny. Like the moral of the story is like, if you do that, you're going to make a living. You're going to be fine. You know? So right. I think that's awesome. That's a great comment. Yeah. If you can give that to your kids. Yeah, I know. But I mean, I tell that to some people, they look at me cross-eyed. Like, what do you mean? Everybody's got to be striving for money. Like when they got to get a job, they got to go to college. They got to go to corporate America. They got to, I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. They don't have to be this cog in the machine. You know? <laughs> right. But it's hard when you are a cog in the machine. It's hard for you not to see it that way. True. That's the only path you see, right? When you're a hammer, everybody looks, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you think about all the guys that we know or girls that we know in yeah. our business who work in warehouses or banks. You try to explain to them your life and they just don't get it. I mean, I just had a friend of mine that came over and defended a couple of years ago. And when he came over, he's like, well, I got an assistant, I got an office, and, blah, and all the stuff. And I'm like, no, you really don't have to have any of that technology. You can do all this stuff on your own. And yeah. you're going to make three times the money you make right now. You can get rid of a 30-year book of clients that are maybe just not going to fit for you. And here we sit two years later. And in the beginning, he did all this stuff that he wanted to do it. Two years later, and he's like, you're right. He doesn't have an assistant anymore. He doesn't have an office anymore. His book of business is smaller, but it's more efficient. It's better. He gives better service to the clients that he has. It's an improvement in every way. His income, he makes more money now than he made before. And it's just like... You couldn't see it. They can't see it. And even you and I, we thought it. We thought it. Yeah. But we couldn't actually see it. But coming over, yeah, it just allowed us to continue to expand. The way I see the world today is so different than the way I saw it 10 years ago. Me too. I mean, I think of the worst case scenario stuff just as primates, just as like animals. Like we're just so wired to look at like worst case scenarios or like to prepare for worst case scenarios. Yeah. It's very difficult to like put that, you know, reptilian brain on the side and just be like, no, you know what? I can make this decision logically and it's going to turn out, like you said, like you go independent, 99 times out of 100, you're probably going to do better. And what you did in corporate America, but there's that one percent of your brain that's saying, "Yeah, but what if you fuck this up? Like, what if it all goes wrong? And then now you're screwed. Now you got to start from scratch. 
Right. But then I even think of that. I mean, like, start from scratch. We've always started from scratch. I mean, what's the difference? If that's the worst case scenario, we live in America. We're <laughs> educated people. Like, I always thought, I'll go into the real estate business and I'll freaking yeah. make money doing that. There's so many things you can do, but you get this narrow mind of worst case scenario. And yeah, it's strange. And I compete with that all the time in so many different things. You know, I think I mentioned with you and I've mentioned on the podcast too, I started like progressively getting more afraid of the ocean as time went on. Like when I was a kid, I used to go to the beach all the time. I was like swimming in water above my head in the middle of the ocean right, for like a half hour at a time, just hanging out with friends, dunking them, they're dunking me with not a care in the world of like sharks or whatever's in the ocean. I don't know whether it was watching Jaws or what the hell it was, but like over time, I just, you know, I'd get in the ocean, I'd be looking around. If I'm in more than waist deep water, I'm like, holy shit. I'd get a little bit of a panic. I'd be like, oh shit. Right. So I'd go in to like cool off and then get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> and so I finally decided, I'm like, I got to stop that. I love the ocean. I've always loved the ocean. I got to figure out how to like really reverse this. And so I did that Costa Rica trip where I did a week surf camp in the ocean where you're literally in the ocean five hours a day. And dude, I have to tell you, man, the whole anticipation of the trip leading up, I was kind of terrified. I was like, what am I doing? Like, am I really doing this? I'm like, I'm not a surfer, first of all. I don't know how to surf. So I'm going to learn how to surf in the ocean, be in there five hours a day. I tell you, once I was in the water for the first time, there was nothing. There was literally nothing. No fear at all. I had no fear, dude. Not one time in that seven days of five hours a day. That's awesome. And then that was the epiphany again. And it's been this reoccurring epiphany that all the fears are anticipation. When you're in, when you're actually doing something, it all goes away. All that shit goes away. Oh my God. It's so funny you say that. So just a week ago, we had a trip before COVID that got canceled because of COVID. There was like 20 of us, different families in the neighborhood. It was a total of like 20 of us, wives, husbands, kids. So we booked this house. It got canceled. We had to go back and use it. So a week ago, we're in Breckenridge, Colorado. Never skied in my life. I'm completely afraid to ski because growing up, all my friends skied. And I was always afraid that like, when you get injured skiing, you don't like just twist your ankle, tear out your knee and all this <laughs> stuff, right? So I've never skied in my life. I'm 46 years old. We're in Breckenridge, which is apparently one of like the best places the best. to ski. So it's like the Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's not like I'm learning to ski on some hill in my backyard. <laughs> so I end up snowboarding, not skiing, but exactly what you said. So we get this guy and he's a really cool guy and he's showing us what to do. And the first few times I'm very nervous and I'm thinking to myself, oh man, just don't, don't bust your knee up. <laughs> don't this, don't that. Finally, we get on the hill and it's like you just start kind of sliding down the hill. And now it's like, holy shit, like there's no time to think about falling, getting hurt. Like you're just trying to focus on getting down this hill. Right. On your feet. And then you get down the hill and you're like, that was kind of fun. I want to do that again. Mm -hmm. And you go back up the hill. And it's exactly what you said. It's like you were afraid of the water, but you really weren't afraid of the water. It was all in this preconceived notion that you created in your own head. Mm -hmm. Because once you were out there on the surf, you really had no choice anymore. You're in it. So So if you were really scared, you would have been scared then. But you really weren't scared. You just didn't have time to think about it. Yeah, you're projecting. It was like a mental image, a mental model that you put in your head. Like, I'm on this slope. It's going to be scary. I'm going to blow out a knee, you know. And you see it with little kids, right? When kids are babies, they're like so afraid to take that first step and everything. But then all of a sudden, they take like two or three steps and everybody says the same thing, right? If you've ever ever seen a baby, Mm -hmm. they take one or two steps and then you wake up the next day and now they're running. Because that fear of falling 
it's just not there, right? Yeah. They believe they can do it. And so, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's, um, and I think the same thing going back with wealth, it's kind of similar. I ended up spending more money on a car that I told you about not long ago than I ever in a million years would think that I did. But a buddy of mine had been bugging me to do it. He's into these kinds of exotic cars and talks about how much fun it is. And there's this whole other network of people and they're all good people. And so I finally came in and I get one and I was so scared. Right. The idea of having that kind of money spent on a car, like going back to my dad, I would never, my dad, like he thinks I'm the dumbest thing in the world to ever do. Like, why would you ever do that? Uh huh. But it has been so enjoyable and it's been so much fun. And my wife and I enjoy it. We go out driving together with other couples. We'll meet up, you know, lunch or dinner. I've been able now to get to be part of this other network of people that I never would have met because we didn't have this common life to bring us together. And they're great people and it's expanded my friendship network, if you will. And it's like creating those new neurons in your brain when you do new things. But we get so caught with all of the old neurons. It's like we get afraid to create new ones. And then we create new ones. And we're like, yeah, why did I ever stop? This is so much more fun creating new ones than it is just staying with the old ones. But those are just two examples that I thought of when we were saying that. No, and I remember you with tennis. I mean, you were never a tennis player. I grew up playing tennis. And you were never like, oh, yeah, <laughs> in sports, like either like you're a racket player or a racket player is like one genre of sport. Like if you're used to playing with a racket when you're a kid, then. You know, you're good at ping pong, you're good at tennis, you're good at pick a wall, whatever. And I remember like you never like picked up a racket like until like later in life, and but you wanted to get into tennis. And you I saw you progress over time, and that was just another thing. I mean, that's a big hurdle. I mean, it happens in so many different ways. I think that guys like going back to like Elon Musk, the fear thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of smart guys. I mean, he's a very smart guy, but there's a lot of other smart guys out there that do nothing like what he's doing. And there's something in his brain. I don't know if it's the Asperger's or what, where he doesn't have that like filter, but it's just, he just does things. Like you just continue to make choices in your life that are like pushing those limits, right? You know, you're taking these different risks, but they're not really risks. He's just doing things in his mind. It's not a risk. You know, I'm going to do a boring company. I'm going to dig holes. Really? You're going to fucking dig holes. No, they're not really risks. So that you can get traffic underground. Who does this? You know, and I tell friends about this, you know, Elon's doing this boring company and, you know, he's going to try to divert the traffic from LA because he's sick of the traffic. The first thing out of their mouth is like, that's ridiculous. We're about earthquakes. You know, earthquakes going to shatter the whole. I'm like, see, this is the mentality. Right. People like are always thinking why you can't do something. And he's not thinking that way. That's the four minute mile. It is right. The four minute mile. He shattered it and it keeps shattering. I think that's so interesting. I wish I could do it in more aspects of life. I've done it piecemeal. But I haven't been able to do like a whole string of having a life like that, where you're just constantly like, look, of all the people I know, I think you're absolutely heading in that direction mm-hmm. more so than most people, right? I mean, you know, drums and, yeah. you know, the other stuff that you've just picked up. And I think that some of it is just that conditioning that you had as an upbringing and having to try to unwind and rewire that. Yeah. It's much easier to change habits that you obtain later in life than it is habits that you obtain earlier in life because those become part of your fabric. You know, I think you've come a long way from where you were. Maybe you don't realize it because you're living it every day. It's like when you see somebody every day, you don't notice how much they grow. But then if you don't see them for like three months, true. And then you see them, you're like, wow, you grew so much because you haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. 
So I think you're moving in that direction, but I think the goal here would be maybe to have the kids start from a different starting point. So maybe they could be more normal in terms of their thought process like this versus, you know, the other way. Yeah. That's a cool point. Yeah. Going back to like, we're going to provide for our kids that our parents kind of provided for us. Maybe their decision-making process will be less from a fear standpoint. So them going independent would be like a no brainer. Like they'd be like, yeah, why not? Sure. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. Because right now you're like, life's good. You're going to travel and all this. But if tomorrow I was like, okay, here's the deal. I'll run your whole business. You need to go become a realtor. Right. You'd be like, well, that's stupid. Why would I do it? But what if you did? Like, what if you just did it? Yeah. You would be successful because I know you. You'd be successful. When I say successful, you'd be fine. Whatever that level is, right? Yeah. You'd be fine. And at the end, if we came back together in five years, Mm -hmm. I bet you a dollar, you'd probably be like, you know what? I thought that was the stupidest thing in the world, but I'm so glad I did it. I ended up really liking it. I didn't even realize, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we just don't do it. We get caught up in our daily routines, you know? Yeah, our routines, which is cool too. I mean, we got kids and we got like certain routines that we like and enjoy. Yeah. I do hear what you're saying. I always try to think back, like when I'm 90 and I'm looking back, why would I not want to choose a handful of different professions to try? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be a realtor. You know, maybe I'll learn how to build a house. Maybe I'll learn how to anything. I don't know. Learn languages. I think that's where this is going. In my mind, I'm always, again, go back to the comparison. You can't compare yourself to like an Elon Musk in that sense. You know, you compare yourself to a guy like him and he's just, you know, he's making all kinds of crazy decisions ongoing. Right. And when you look at it from a distance, you're like, that's completely fearless living. He's doing rockets and he's doing electric cars and he's digging holes in the ground and he's literally changing the world on a grand scale. And the pressure on a guy like that to have multi-billion dollar companies. And, you know, I have one company, it's mine. <laughs> I have one assistant that I share with other people. It's like, right. I have the simplest life. Why would I be worried? You know, so you start doing those kind of comparisons. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk forever, right? I mean, well, Dude, I'm so glad we got to talk. There's so much of what we say is the same old, same old. <laughs> but every once in a while, going over the same old, it spawns something new. Mm-hmm. It's just very funny to think about where you and I were 10, 15 years ago and where we are now. And not so much the money piece, because I think we always believed that would take care of itself. Even though we weren't maybe 100% sure, we always believed that would. I think it's just funny to see the way we think and the way we see life. In one way, we're like so much more open. And like you said, you know, the whole Tim Ferriss thing, right? Like we're trying different things, we're doing stuff. If our kids came to us, And they were like, I want to be a pilot. We'd be like, that's awesome. Go for it. And then if the next week they were like, well, I want to do something else. We'd be like, that's awesome. Go for it. But there's still a part of us that won't let ourselves do that. It's weird. I don't know why it's so much easier to give the advice than it is to heed it. Totally true. Like, you know the answer and you've moved more and more towards that direction. But there's still a part of you that like stops you from being completely free in your thought. Right. I wonder what it is. Is it like public embarrassment? Is it like you're embarrassed to fail? Is Where does that come from? I don't know. Because when it comes down to it, like who really cares? <laughs> if you wanted to be a realtor tomorrow and you did it and it wasn't for you or it didn't work, who cares? Like in the scheme of things, nothing really matters. You know, I had my wife and I started a couple of little businesses over the last whatever decade. Yep. I mean, they were not in any way these, you know, sexy, glorious businesses. Sure. 
but I never cared. So why did I not care about that? But then tomorrow, like, it's so weird. Why do we pick and choose? Why can't we just be in that state of mind about everything? Yeah. And that's to your point about Elon Musk. I don't know the guy. He's clearly, you know, one of the greatest minds of all time. But in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I don't think he really cares at all. ever. Like, I think tomorrow he wants to dig under the ground. He's going to dig under the ground. Yeah. You know, if the next day he decides he's going to stop that, he doesn't really care. He'll just stop. And he doesn't care that you say he failed. He doesn't really care. It's just not important to him what you think. He's immune to public embarrassment, I guess, you know. Which is awesome. It is great. I mean, what a great quality, right? I mean. That's probably why he's where he is. I think so. Well, I think all of this stuff is a reminder. Like, we realize, I mean, we're in our late 40s. I'm in my late 40s. You're a little younger than me. But you start to realize the patterns of thoughts and that you go down these roads, you make decisions. And then I know my mind's going to tell me, be careful, don't do it, you know, be scared. The more that that happens, the more you realize like, oh, that's just what my mind does. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the situation. Like you buying that car, you could have been out ahead of that and been like, you know, I'm going to go look at this kind of car. My mind's going to tell me it's too freaking expensive. You shouldn't be buying crazy shit like that. But that's just a thought. Right. Like, I know I'm going to think that. I could totally combat that by just saying, all right, okay, mind. Thank you. Thank you for like trying to protect me there. I'm going to continue to do this and move forward. Right. And just doing that in like every aspect. I do it with drums to this day. Like, so with this whole COVID outbreak, you would think I would have played more. I've actually not played much at all. Hmm. Just took a break. I was been doing it for a long time. Just got back into it a couple of weeks ago. And I'm familiar with what my mind's going to do. I sit down at the drums and that voice goes off like, you took off for a year. You're never going to make up for that year. You know, if you practice for 15 <laughs> minutes, it's worthless. What's good is 15 minutes. There's guys out there practicing two hours a day. They're so much better than you. Right. You're never going to progress. And it's not like these actual words. It's just this almost like feeling of like, what's the point? And then I'm like, shut up, mind. All right. right. The point is, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I never knew that as a kid. I always thought that you just believe those thoughts. And so you don't do it. Right, so right. if you sit there, like, you know, I gave a friend of mine a guitar. She's like, I really want to play guitar. I have to play guitar. All my life, I wanted to play guitar. I'm like, here, take my guitar. I barely use the damn thing. Gave it to her. Two weeks later, she gives it back to me. She's like, I'm just not good at music. I'm like, you played it for two weeks. She never <laughs> even took a lesson. Like, <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? You're going to pick up and like sound like Eddie Van Halen? I'm like, but it was, it's fun. Like, I totally recognize where she's coming from. Right. We all do that. Like, why do we stop? If you push past that and say, I'm going to sit here and do it. I'm going to suck for a long time and I'm going to progressively get a little bit better. But like, I know I'm out ahead of these crazy thoughts. Right. That's all the shit I'm interested in. Like we were just saying, like the whole point of this podcast is called the unlearning project. It's unlearning all of this wiring, especially from parents, you know? Yeah. And kids and even our current environment, I know how much different moving to Charlotte totally opened up my eyes and my wife's eyes to a whole nother world because Growing up where we were in New York, great place, great people, but it's a generational area and everybody's in this, like the part of New York I grew up in, you know, everybody's in this kind of conservative mentality. All these immigrants came, they all made decent lives for themselves. And all they're going to do is try to keep what they have. And like, we'll go back now for Christmas to see family. It'll be great. And they're great people. But after a couple of days, it's like stifled because they just don't think there's a world outside of where they live. Yes. And everything is, you know, glass half empty. It's like, well, you know, what do you want to go there for? That's not going to, you know, 
probably going to rain. <laughs> what do you want to go try that for? You know, it's like we said, what do you want to go do that for? What if that doesn't work? You know, what if the client doesn't like this? Well, you know, I think I'm going to throw a party for my clients. Well, what if some of your clients don't like the party? Well, what if some of them do? Right. So had I stayed in that environment, mm. I probably would have continued to be conditioned to think in that way. Yeah. Frankly, I don't think I would have been as successful financially, career-wise, or even just my own personal freedoms. I don't think I would have been as successful and I don't think I would have been as happy. I agree with that. I see it with other people I know over the last 15 years that have moved here. Yeah. And I know the way they were. Mm-hmm. And then they moved here and I see the way they are. And they literally go through this like metamorphosis. Yeah. So I think, you know, some of it is the way we brought up. Some of it is our current environments. Yeah. And we made conscious decisions. I know you did too. You made a conscious decision to get out of that environment because there was something about it that you just felt like wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know we've talked about it. That's the way I know. Again, great people, great places, but I just knew that wasn't for me. Yeah. And something about jumping into something new without a safety net gives you some sort of confidence going forward. Yeah. If you spent your whole life in one place, you never really took a big jump. I'm not saying that they're bad people. It's nothing against the law of staying where you're, yeah. but taking one big jump kind of sets you off on a whole different trajectory with other things. Like maybe you would never picked up tennis if you stayed in Rochester. You know what I mean? Like tennis, maybe why would I play tennis? You know, I'm here in Rochester. It's cold. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, like so many other doors open once you take that first jump. And so I always think of Charlotte, moving to Charlotte was that jump for me. I was like, we drove down. I quit my job within two weeks of visiting. Right. I came down in January. It was 70 degrees. My friend bought a new house. They were paying less for their mortgage than I was paying for my apartment in Long Island. I literally quit my job. And yeah. within two weeks, we moved. And we moved without an apartment and without jobs. Okay. <laughs> it was before I had kids and you know dogs and all that stuff. But still. Yeah, but still. You still do it. Right. It was great. And it was so exhilarating. Don't you remember yeah. that? That's a great word. It was exhilarating. You felt alive. Yeah. It's an adventure. Yes. A hundred percent. We don't have enough of those in our lives. And I think it's what keeps you young, right? Yeah. You got to have those adventures. The unknown. You need some unknown. Yeah. It's, everything's predictable. It's just everything becomes mundane. And then you're just kind of like, uh, all right, same old shit, you know? That's it. No, you need that. I agree. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Antonio, thanks for being on the podcasts. We're going to have to be back on again, definitely. we got to hit some other topics. We've been having these conversations for years. Oh, man. It was too long coming. I appreciate the opportunity, man. It was, it was great catching up with you. I always like talking to you. So Cool, man. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>